Okay, Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8, uh, but there's going to be special emphasis on verse 1 and verse 8. It says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you... Be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Uh, What I want to teach on specifically tonight is this role that Christ has as judge. Christ the judge. Um, This comes out in verse 1 when He says, Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And then also in verse 8, He says, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Um, Something that's been on my mind a lot lately is the offices of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. And we see that in the Scriptures, and it's wonderful to think about. And this, you could say, is a title that's also given to Christ, uh, a role that He fulfills. And it kind of maybe fits underneath His role as king. You see that a lot in the book of Acts. It talks about God exalting him and how he's the Lord and how he's the king and how he's the judge. And uh, this is uh, a wonderful truth to think about Christ as the judge. And uh, I hope you all see it that way. And if you don't, uh, I hope maybe by the end of looking at these verses and talking about what the Bible talks about, you would think about it that way. Uh, we even sang a hymn, so thankful for that first hymn that we sang, because it says, one day He's coming. Oh, glorious day, my beloved one's coming. He's coming as a judge. Remember, when Christ returns to the earth, He's returning to judge the earth. Uh, but we should see it as Paul sees it here. And uh, so there's some specifics we're going to skip over, because he's talking to Timothy, and he's saying, I'm charging you, Timothy, to preach the word, and You could talk about all that he says there and Paul's ministry. He talks about his ministry and he talks about both their ministries in light of judgment day and in light of Christ as being the judge of the living and the dead. Do your ministry with an eye to that. But I don't want to talk about any of that. I just want to talk about Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead. Uh, Something that kind of came out to me from these verses. One is his work. So that's the first thing we'll look at. His work as judge, judge of all the earth. 
The second thing is His character. It says later on, we're going to get to this, He is the righteous judge. Uh, And the third thing would be our adoration for Him and our love for Him, which you see at the very end when He says, to all who love His appearing. So those are the three things I want to talk about. Um, Christ as our judge, as the judge, His work, His character, and our adoration. Um, First of all, His work. What is it that Christ is going to do? When it says in this verse, in verse 1, Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead. He's going to judge the living and the dead. And that's what it says all throughout the Scriptures. It says that God appointed Him to do that. When When He raised Christ from the dead, He appointed Him to judge the living and the dead. You have people that are alive right now Maybe they will be or maybe they won't be when Christ returns. But some people are going to be alive. And a whole bunch of people will have died. But they're all going to be judged by Christ Jesus. So there's kind of three aspects that you see over and over uh, throughout the Scriptures when it talks about Judgment Day, when Christ comes and, and uses His authority to judge all men. First thing is, He gathers all people to Himself. And then He opens the books... And then there's blessing and there's punishment. So those are kind of the three things. When He gathers all people to Himself, uh, one verse says He gathers all the nations to Himself. So think about every nation on earth. And here lately in the past few days, we've been talking about different nations. They're all going to answer to Christ uh, one day. They're all going to be gathered before Him. Every person, all of us here, every Christian, every non-Christian, doesn't matter if you're in the U.S. or if you're in China. I mean, China has a lot of people. Think about this aspect. Not just people that are alive right now, but every past generation. I mean, hundreds of generations, billions upon billions of people gathered before one man, Jesus Christ, the judge. Everyone's going to stand before Him. They're going to be gathered before Him. And it even says, uh, if you want a verse, I'm not going to turn to it, But if you want a verse to think about His work as judge, you could turn to Revelation 20. There's a section in there uh, that talks about it. That talks about, it says, the great and the small. People that are unimportant, people that feel really important. But they're all going to stand before Christ. Every person, doesn't matter how insignificant they are or how much money they have, everyone's going to be standing there. He's going to gather them all. And then He's going to open the books. And a lot of verses say that in different ways. Some say He's going to open the books. Some say He's going to reveal the secrets of men in their hearts. But what He's doing is, God has knowledge. And you can picture it like books in heaven of the details of every single person's life. Everything you've ever done. Everything you've ever thought. Everything you've ever said. Every desire you've ever, ever had. Every motivation behind what you've done. God knows all of it exhaustively for billions and billions of people. And they're all going to be there and the books are going to be opened. And it says that um, the Lord is going to bring these things into examination. That's what a judge does. He weighs a matter over. He thinks about it. He decides on it. And he's going to, Christ, Jesus, is going to be looking at every person's life. God not only sees everything that's done, whether good or bad. And I, 
when I'm talking about this, I know we usually talk about judgment uh, and Christ being a judge in, in terms of uh, the punishment and the harsh things. But this applies to the believer too. Every righteous deed, every song of praise, every word of thanks, He knows every detail. He has not forgot about any of it. Not only does He know everything, but He doesn't ever forget anything. God's memory is flawless. And He knows everything that's ever happened. We have history books. They leave a lot of people out. And even the people that they include, they don't include some of the most important things about the person's life that you may, maybe no one else knew but they themselves. But God has a complete history book of every, every person. The books will be open. Um, if it seems like that's too much for God to have in His mind, think about billions of people, past generations. I mean, especially when we were even talking, when I was thinking about this, uh, thinking about a country like China uh, that for so long did not have the gospel at all. You have uh, thousands of years where, as far as we know, there was virtually no gospel there at all. But it wasn't that God wasn't there or that He didn't make those people or He wasn't watching over their lives. He was. It may seem like that's a lot for God to hold in His mind, but think about what Peter says. Peter says to the Lord, he says, one day is like a thousand years. He, he, not only does he say a thousand years is like a day, he says one day is like a thousand years. Think about what that means. To God, one day has... Thousands and millions of events going on all in that one day. And he takes time to think about everything that happened that day for every person. He doesn't miss any of it. Not for the Christian, not for the unbeliever. It's all present before the Lord. And that's what's in the books. He opens them and then he, he gives out blessing and he gives out punishment. And that's what Christ does as a judge. He looks at a person's life, those that have hated God, that have never sought God, that didn't want anything to do with God and lived their life for sin. Christ sends people to hell, those people to hell. And the people that sought God and lived for God and loved God and turned to God and cried out to God, Christ, what does He say to those people? You know, come, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Uh, there's blessing and there's punishment. And it's, and it's not based on some of the details. It's based on a full knowledge of the person's life. And that's what Christ does. And He's the only one. Why would God set Him up to do that work? If you think about all the other work that Christ has done or will do in the future, you think about Him as prophet, as priest, as king, you can start to think about why God would have Him speak why God would have him atone for sin, why God would have him come as, as a king and set up a kingdom. But that's part of what it means for Christ to be judge. He's setting up his kingdom. It's tied right into the kingdom. And you see that in verse 1. He says, uh, Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. One way it's described in, in Matthew is it says he'll gather all stumbling blocks out of his kingdom. It's referring to Judgment Day. This has to do with his kingdom. God, set, God has Christ to judge all men because primarily and foundationally God cares about the way we live our lives. 
He cares about sin. He cares about righteousness. It matters to the Lord. It's at the very heart of God that He is good. And He loves what's good. And therefore, He hates everything that's evil. It really matters to the Lord. And our, war, our world is full of sin. Uh, so if you think about this earth, you think about Christ setting up His kingdom, he has, if His kingdom is going to come, He has to judge all men. He has to judge the living and the dead. Well, you say, well, maybe he would have to judge the living, but he wouldn't have to judge the dead. Well, no, he does have to, to judge the dead because the dead still live to the Lord. And if he's going to set up his kingdom once and for all, and it's going to be ushered in, uh, Christ has to deal with sin that's in this world here and now. Because this earth is not Christ's kingdom. Did you know that? What do I mean? You might think of that's kind of blasphemy or wrong. No, this earth right now, this, this world is not Christ's kingdom. Christ's kingdom is in heaven and it's in the hearts of his Christians, of his believers. It's a spiritual kingdom, but he will bring his kingdom on earth one day. And there's not going to be any more sin. And there's not going to be any more evil or any more wickedness or any of that. Uh, so this is a work that he must do and Christ will do it faithfully. This is the work that God has given him to do. Judge the earth. Judge all men. Judge the living. Judge the dead. That's his work. His character. Why Christ? Why, why would God pick one man to judge all other men? And why Christ? Well, and this is where I think uh, we could probably spend a lot of time in meditation and, and worship the Lord for but first of all, uh, Christ is God. He's your maker. He made all men. That's why he's going to judge all men. That's why he has the right to do it. A lot of times you hear people say, you can't judge me. Don't judge me. Well, you can't say that to your maker. He can judge you because he made you and he has a purpose that he made you for. Are you living up to the purpose that God made you for? Uh, what is that? To love God, to glorify God? And so these are the things, when He judges someone, Christ judges them because they're His creation. They're His possession. And uh, He knows all about them. He, he made them, He gives them life and breath every moment. He upholds them in the palm of His hand. And this man, Christ Jesus, the God-man, is going to come and all men are going to stand before Him as His creation. And He will judge them. <clears throat> but also, because it's His kingdom, it's His kingdom, uh, and if you want to inherit his kingdom, you have to come to the king. That's what it says in Matthew 25 when it describes the judgment when Christ comes. It says uh, the king will say to those on his right and those on his left. He's the king. It's his kingdom. It's his standard. And uh, it's, it's a kingdom of righteousness, joy, and peace, and love. And so he's going to carry out the judgment. He's going to weigh people's lives. Uh, he's going he's gonna, to determine and decide but probably most importantly and this is what sticks out to me from the passage look in verse 8 his work is to judge the living and the dead but his character verse 8 it says paul says in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge will award to me the righteous judge paul says he knows in his mind Christ is a righteous judge. That's the one thing you have got to be if you're going to be a judge. You have to be righteous. 
and we feel that acutely in our day and age because judges are not righteous. But Christ is a righteous judge. Everything that pleases God, he is 100% on board with. Christ is a righteous judge. And this is why God gives him all judgment. He hands it over to the Son. Because the Son always does that which is pleasing to the Father. You might say, well, God the Father, you know, he, since he's the Father, he should be the one to judge. No, he says, my Son can do it. Because he's righteous. And in John chapter 5, it talks a lot about God giving all judgment to Christ. And one thing it says is, um, well, maybe we should turn there. This is a good verse. John chapter 5, I think it's verse 30. Yeah. John chapter 5, verse 30, he says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. So the Father tells Christ to judge. He says, Son, I want you to judge. But the way that the Son judges is exactly like the Father would judge. I'm just judging by what I hear from God. He doesn't have a will of His own. You can't flatter Him. You can't bribe Him. You can't make some kind of secondary appeal to get around His will. He's totally set on the will of God. And on that which pleases God. That's what pleases Him. And that's what He judges based on. He's righteous. He told people in John chapter 7, he said, uh, don't judge by appearance. He said, but judge with righteous judgment. You try and give the judgment of the world to some other man. What's he going to be able to do? He's going to look at these people. How is he going to know who to let into heaven and who to condemn? I mean, we're, we're not in that place of authority. But Christ can do it because he's righteous. He looks past the outside and he sees right into people's hearts. He judges with righteous judgment. Uh, a lot of times we get our judgments on other people wrong, totally wrong, totally misjudge someone or misjudge the situation. But Christ doesn't. Um, and uh, probably most importantly here is that He had no sin. He was a man. He lived on earth in our fallen world and He lived without sin. What that means is, one, He sets the standard. As a, as a perfect man, he always loved God. He always obeyed God. He never broke the laws of God or offended God or um, sinned against other people. He was perfectly righteous. He knows what the standard is. Um, but also, uh, someone like that is a person that can be trusted to judge. Um, what do I mean? Like if there was, if you were going to appoint someone as a judge in the land, say you've got some really wicked town and they need a new judge the old judge left or died and they're looking around they see all these sinful people who are we going to make our next judge uh not a good situation you want to interview somebody and look for a person that's upright and righteous um and it's the exact same way but with more weight when it comes to judging the world uh in that christ he never had any sin if you ever think about this our judicial system, why is it our Supreme Court has several judges and not just one? Ever think about that? Or why is it that the judges, why do they have these checks and balances built into our government? It's because men aren't righteous. You can't give the judge power because he would abuse it. Uh, but it's not that way with Christ. He's the king and he's the judge. Uh, he holds all the keys. He's, he's the... He's the head of the church. 
And so he's perfectly righteous. We can trust the Lord. But I want to make this one last point on his character. And this, I think, is important. Hopefully, will be an encouragement to you. Is that he knows his sheep. He knows who they are. Think about it. If you, if you were to have to decide, say you were, God made you accountable uh, for, for everybody in this church. And you had to decide, and maybe there were some people you didn't know that well, or maybe there were some visitors that were coming, or you spent time with a person, but how do you know? How do you know if a person, what's the difference between someone that's like what the Bible calls a smoldering wick? Like they're just smoldering, it's not very good. But Christ says, I'm not going to snuff them out, because they're mine. This bruised reed, this smoldering wick is mine. What's the difference between that and somebody that's a hypocrite? smooth talking and uh, I mean how would you know but Christ knows he knows his sheep and he can judge righteously and there will be a day when all men are gathered before him before his holy throne and it's not going to be hard for him at all to separate out the sheep from the goats one on the left and one on the right he knows his sheep he knows the difference uh, between Peter's weeping and Judas's weeping See, there, one has a heart that actually does love God and longs for God. Peter fell big time and stumbled. I mean, he denied Christ. That's the kind of thing you would think, he's an apostate. Uh, and he wept, but in his heart, God saw his heart. And he sees the hearts of all men. Uh, Judas wept just like Peter did, but it was totally different. And the Lord knows. His character. He's a righteous judge. So the last thing is our adoration of Christ. This is His work. And uh, in a way, it is very terrifying and it's very weighty because He's talking about carrying out judgment and punishment on sin, on all sin. But He's also talking about bringing and establishing His kingdom. That's what He does when He judges. But it's something that we adore the Lord for. Uh, The application in all of this, I'm not really going to give much of an application except that uh, we would worship Christ for His role as judge uh, of all the earth and our judge. We should be thankful. We should worship. Um, For the Christian, when you think about Judgment Day and you think about the fact that all of your life is going to be laid bare before God, what is that? Does that cause fear in your heart? Are you happy about that? Are you fearful? Are you longing for that day? Are you shrinking away from that day? Because the Bible talks about it in a lot of different ways. Um, I would say this. There are some people that probably ought to fear more than they do for when that day will come and when they'll stand before Christ the judge. And there are some people that probably ought to fear less than they do. Because I'm convinced that one, uh, it's easy for someone that is actually uh, a hypocrite. They feel clean. They feel right with God and they're not at all. They're miles away from being right with God. It's easy for them to be deceived. But I also think because of the terrifying uh, aspect of judgment, it can be uh, very easy for a Christian to begin to fear Christ as judge and fear the day of judgment. And uh, if you remember, this was actually, Dick preached on this a while back. The verse in 1 John that talks about perfect love casting out fear. 
in the day of judgment. And 1 John says, look, if our hearts don't condemn us, we can pray before God with total assurance. We can, we can go looking forward to that day. When I read verse 8 of 2 Timothy 4, it sounds like to me, Paul is really looking forward to judgment day. And it looks like he's saying, not only am I going to get this crown of righteousness, I've kept the faith, I've made it, I'm at the very end. But he says the same thing for all who have loved his appearing. And there's an element in which we long for judgment day. We long for Christ to come and set up his kingdom and judge the world in righteousness. Um, the hypocrite should fear. That's true. Uh, all, the, all the pride or anger or lust or unforgiveness or any sin that goes unrepented of, that should bring fear and trembling. And there are tons of Bible verses about that. But that doesn't mean uh, if you have a clean conscience and if you uh, have repented of your sin, you're not holding on to some sin or toying with some sin, that doesn't mean that you need to take the same place and begin to fear Christ. Um, that's, it's, a, it's a temptation to fall into that. And a lot of times I think we can misread certain Bible verses and uh, begin to cower away from Judgment Day inappropriately. Uh, another thing that's dangerous is the person with, not just the hypocrite, most of the time people that are hypocrites don't even realize that they're hypocrites. I didn't for a long time when I was lost. I was a total hypocrite, and I thought I was saved, and I thought I was going to heaven. Um, but sometimes a person can make a false profession of faith, and they do know it's a false profession of faith. And that should bring fear because that won't stand in the day of judgment either. If you know you're not saved and you know that you don't belong to Christ, don't pretend like you are. And even if it means you have to humble yourself in the sight of other people and say, look, I'm not a Christian, pray for me, to do that. Because nobody on judgment day, no one is going to hold your hand at the throne of God. You're going to have to answer, did you turn to the Lord? Did you glorify God with your life? Did you love Him? Did you believe in Him? Did you trust Him? Were you born again? And if you're not, uh, don't hold on to a false profession of faith just to please other people around you. That's terrifying. But for a Christian, for the, for the saint that's uh, walking with God and putting sin to death and fighting hard against all of the opposition and uh, rejoicing in the Lord, there should be uh, fullness of assurance on Judgment Day, just like Paul had, and a longing and a loving of his appearing. Uh, think about it like this. The one that's going to be your judge is the same one that's your high priest. <laughs> and the one, that, think about this, the throne that you're going to stand before is the throne of grace that you've been praying to all your life. Uh, he, God, the Lord doesn't change. He knows His people. That's what it says, the, the foundation of the Lord... Stands firm, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And to abstain from wickedness. Uh, they're both there. This should be a longing in, in our heart. Turn to, um, these are the last two verses, in Psalm 96 and Psalm 98. We should uh, long for the day of judgment, long for Christ judging the earth, just like creation does. The trees. Um, in Psalm 96, verse 11, it says, Let the heavens be glad 
and let the earth rejoice. Why? What's, what's the big deal? Why is everybody so happy? He says, let the sea roar and all it contains, let the field exult and all that's in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. And then look at Psalm 98, verse 7. Let the sea roar and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy before the Lord, for He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So (laughs) the earth is groaning for God to return, for Christ to come. I just read this verse in Isaiah. It was so good. It said, um, your eyes will see the King in His beauty. You'll see God when God appears. And for His people, it's a wonderful thing. All sin, all oppression, uh, every kind of temptation, every kind of demonic working in the world, um, every kind of perversion, People taking advantage of one another, sinning against one another, blaspheming God, cursing God, every form of depression, every form of loneliness, all of that's going to be done away completely. And Christ, when he judges the earth, is going to usher in his kingdom of righteousness and love and joy and peace. And he's going to be the king and he's going to reign. When you think about the things in this world, And sometimes you get a glimpse of it, some report you hear of uh, believers being persecuted or maybe just general oppression in this country or some other country. You get on the news or Google News or whatever and you hear about wicked things that are being done. It should make you long for God to come, long for Christ to come and judge the earth and return. Uh, But the best part, I think... um, This is back in 2 Timothy 4. What are we really longing for? Paul talked about this crown of righteousness. And that's for every Christian, not just for the Apostle Paul. He says for everybody, this crown of righteousness. But listen to what he says in verse 8. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. What does it sound like they really love and really want? It's not the crown of righteousness. It's His appearing. And that's the most wonderful part, is when Christ comes and returns and sets up His kingdom. It's the fact that you get to be in the presence of the Lord forever and ever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. And that's what we long for. And that's what we love. Just Christ's presence and His appearing. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And thank You so much that You are the King. And we uh, worship You for being such a great God. We tremble, Lord, to think uh, of those that will perish. We pray, God, would you bring many to salvation and glorify your mercy. 
Um, and please bring this righteous kingdom and rule over us. We pray, please um, come quickly, Lord. We long for You. Long for all the sin to be gone. We love You. We thank You. Uh, we commit our lives to You again. We commit our church to You. We pray You would keep us. Uh, we pray You would help us to live in light of eternity, to live in light of the judgment day, to uh, love You with all our heart and to long for You. And we ask this in Christ's name and for His sake and glory. Amen.